You can be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it started like this. There was a deep darkness, a vast void. And God spoke into that darkness. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. That's how it all began. That's what Genesis chapter one, verse one tells us. And God started this whole thing off. We're gonna talk about light. You know what? What I've been interested to understand is that the more we learn about science, the more we realize we don't know. <laughs> have you seen that? And have you ever wondered why in the book of Genesis, it, it's interesting to me because when you read the creation story, and, and a lot of people have felt like it's just a fable, but I believe it's basically kind of outlining how God did these things. Now, it's hard sometimes to tell the timeline exactly because he didn't start the, even the world spinning, which we call a day and a night till later on in the creation story. But he, the very first thing he did, he spoke and he created and he made, he spoke and he said, let there be light. Now on the third or the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. So that's not the same thing. And here's what's so interesting as we've got a new realm of physics over these last 50 years or so that have really come into play called quantum physics. And Einstein and others that have, have started the, the foundations of that and then it's just continued to build. But Quantum physics gets down, it studies the smallest particle, smaller than the molecule, smaller than the atom. Those quanta particles that are, are, are the, the building blocks of the universe. And you know what quantum physics has found? You know what they've discovered? Those particles are light. They're electromagnetic. They're the photons and the, you know, even beyond that, even smaller, but they, they're, they're made of light. Everything is made of light. Now that's quite a finding, isn't it? And what's so interesting is that, the, you know, even the, the people talking about the Big Bang and how that happened, they said there was like this, uh, this something that was like concentrated in the middle and all of a sudden the light, came out at 186,000 miles per second. And all of our universe over the years developed out of that. Well, that's what Genesis just told us, wasn't it? God said, let there be light. And from light, he put together everything else. I think it's important for us to study light. I think that there's a, a lot of things in scripture that talk about light, but I think it applies to us. We wanna see miracles in our lives today. Maybe you're in a really, really dark place. You know, some of this stuff, it, it, it moves in metaphor, but it, it's more than just that, isn't it? It, it? There's something that God's trying to, to tell us in all of this as we see this put together. Now, what is light exactly? It's electric wave and a magnetic wave doing uh, just like a, a a tango, a dance. 
It moves at 186,000 miles per second. And um, it, it's, it's like this beautiful dance that, and it's different wavelengths. It's, it's, it's so interesting. The, the short side, the, the really powerful waves are very short. They're gamma radiation. You know, the one that turned Bruce Banner into the Hulk, right? You know, the gamma radiation. Um, that's a really short wave. And then there's really long waves that, that um, would be like, I mean, some of them are as wide as the planet Jupiter, radio waves. And, and then there's the visible spectrum of light. You know, that that's what we see is just the visible spectrum. It's just a tiny part of the light. Did you know that? The visible spectrum is uh, those, I think it's um, 500 to 700 nanometers. That's 500 to 700, one billionth of a meter is the size of those, of the size of those little waves. And the reason why we can see it is because the organic matter, the carbon that we're made up of has a chemical reaction when it hits our cornea and we see that. The smaller waves, they do damage. We can't really see those, but they're very powerful and they damage us like ultraviolet. Wait, right, you might've heard of that, you know, UV, don't get the UV. And those we can't see, but they'll give you a bad sunburn, right? And then the radio waves, they just don't, they're so, we can't even feel them. We don't notice it. But then the, there's this tiny little spectrum. It's, the waves are the one sixteenth the size of a human hair, or the width of a human hair. That's pretty small still, right? Um, that's the visible spectrum. And you'll, you know, as, as it reflects off of things, you'll be looking at a leaf, the light reflects back into your cornea and your cornea has a chemical reaction and goes green. That's how we see things. So it, it's kind of important that we, we understand, you know, <clears throat> some of how God put this together because he's getting ready to show us how he wants to do some miracles in our life. And you're going like, well, Mark, thanks for the, uh, you know, preschool science lesson. Appreciate that. You know, to, to get down to quantum physics, I was reading like these little children's books about quantum physics, you know. Uh, because it, it's it's difficult. I said, Laura, don't we have one? I was going to show it to you. Don't we have one of those? She goes, no, we got rid of it. We couldn't understand it. But it, it is, some of you are, are geeks, you know, and you love that that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're a geek and you really want to impress a girl, guys, you just go to them and say, oh, you have the most beautiful electromagnetic receptors that I've ever seen. You know, talking about her eyes and you will never get a date that way. But um unless you're at like a science convention or something, I guess. But it's important that we understand that because there's some things that are gonna come out of this. You say, well, does, did God just sit in the dark for all those billions of years before? I mean, was he just in the dark? No, the Bible says that God is light. God dwells in unapproachable light. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he, he dwells in light that's beyond the human spectrum, obviously. And if we got too close, we would just go poof and be a, a, a little pile of dust, okay? And it says, no mortal eye, no human eye has ever seen him or ever will. You thought, well, I thought we were gonna see God in heaven. Well, you're not gonna have your human body there, okay? But no human eye will ever see God except in one form that we know that's changed a lot of our, our lives. So he doesn't, sit in the, he doesn't sit in the dark. He 
he, um, he is light. He dwells in unapproachable light. But we've kind of got to get outside of all of this idea because, you know, God is so much bigger than our mind can comprehend. He's outside of time. He's outside of this universe. He's also in every particle of the universe because not only does, is it created from light, but light is what holds it all together. What keeps the atoms together is light. And this, this quantum physics has done quite a number on a lot of scientists, and, and they're, they're still trying to, to work this out. You say, well, what does that have to do with me, Mark? Sir Walter Scott, he tells us how a young boy in Scotland, he, he would stand on the porch of his home and he would watch the, the lamp lighter light the gas lamps around town before electricity. You know, maybe you've seen an old Sherlock Holmes movie or something like that, you know, and it's like they're lighting those gas lamps and they had guys that that was their job. They would go around every evening at dusk and light the lamps. And he could, Sir Walter Scott, when he was just a, a little boy, about four years old, he could sit on his porch or stand on his porch and look out over the city and see them getting lit one at a time as that man was moving through the city. And he said he, he'll never forget it because he said as the lamplighter got closer to his home, every night he would run in and call to his mother and say, mother, mother, come and see a man who's punching holes in the darkness. I wanna tell you, about a man. I want to tell you about someone. I want you to experience someone this morning who's punching holes in the darkness. I don't care how dark of a place you feel like you're in. I want to tell you about the light. Let, let me read you from Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It's, it's a prophecy from the Old Testament Isaiah that Matthew brings back to life and says, this is what happened when Jesus came. He fulfilled all of these prophecies. And here's one of them. People sitting out their lives in the dark saw a huge light. Sitting in that dark, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. This Isaiah prophesied revelation came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off, John the baptizer, change your life, God's kingdom is where? Here. Oh, I thought, no, his kingdom is, no, it's here. It's right here, right now. You know, I think often we think of heaven as kind of surreal and we're living in the real world, right? You know, I mean, this is it. This is the real world. And then heaven is out there. God's kingdom, you know, heaven is out there somewhere, but it's kind of, misty and foggy and ghostly and you know you maybe float around for a billion years and play a harp on a cloud or something right maybe you got some little tiny angel wings sticking out oh that's that c.s lewis tells us it's the opposite of that he said this is the shadowlands we live in everything here is kind of like a copy it's kind of like if this is the coal and the eternal heaven is the diamond that comes from that. Uh, and everything here, it, all even the beauty like we saw on the screen while Samantha's singing that, it, that is just a dim reflection of the beauty of heaven where God dwells, where he wants us to be with him forever. 
And so Jesus came to punch holes in the darkness. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start, their beginning starts when basically Jesus comes to earth. He, he is a baby in the womb of Mary when they're starting, all right? And, and that's what they, they start from there and work from there. John doesn't do that. John goes back further. In fact, he goes way back further. Let me just read you a little bit of who he says Jesus is, because if you're going to experience this miracle and you're going to step into this life with him, you really need to know who he is and the power that he has to punch holes in the darkness. Before time itself was measured, John says, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. Other versions say word here, but word and voice, they're interchangeable in this. This celestial word remained ever present with the creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. God is saying, it's my nature to speak. And John starts out by calling Jesus the voice of God. Why would he do that? Because God is speaking. God loves to speak. I mean, if you came to this and you looked at this and you didn't know anything about God or anything about the Bible, you would say, wow, this seems to present that the creator wants to communicate. And he does. He communicates with us. And the greatest way he did it was through Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, now you understand who God is. Because I'm God. I came to represent that. I, I put on flesh and blood <clears throat> and did this. S.D. Gordon, a missionary about 100 years ago, said it really well. He said, Jesus is God spelling himself out in human language so that we can understand it. So God has been revealed partly in nature, partly in history, but now he's fully known through his son. And then talking about Jesus, John goes on. He says, immersed in the practice of creating, this is a powerful being here, okay? Immersed in the practice of, of creating all things that exist were birthed in him. Let there be light. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light, a light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. You know, what's so interesting to me is I believe that at the same time that God was speaking, he spoke everything that is into existence. That means he spoke you. Back in this time, or this outside of time, really, right? Because time had not begun yet, God spoke you. Did you know that? I mean, you didn't, you're not just a, an egg and a sperm from some man and woman. You're not just 23 chromosomes from a, a dad and a mom, it, God spoke you. You say, well, when would he have time to speak me? What time? What are you talking about? God, again, he's, he's outside of all that. He still is. Time is one of his creations, like light is, like everything that we see is, but also this linear feel that we go through. He, he doesn't go through that. It's outside of him. He created it. He put us in a little time bubble. And he did it for our own good because if we were 
too long lived, we'd get pretty bad probably, right? We'd get into a lot of mess. As much as you've gotten into so far, just if you live 900 years, what would happen, you know? So here, here, here's the thing. He put us in this, in this time bubble and he spoke you into existence. That means he spoke over you. He spoke over your life. There's some things that he's spoken that he's said already over your life that you need to claim, that you need to walk in, that he has for you. Verse six, a man named John, he's not talking about himself, John here. He's talking about John the baptizer. John, who was sent by God, was the first to clearly articulate the source of this light. This baptizer put in plain words the elusive mystery of the divine light so all might believe through him. Some wondered whether he might be the light, but John said, no, I'm not the light. He merely pointed to the light. The true light who shines upon the heart of everyone was coming into the cosmos. He entered our world, a world he made, yet the world did not recognize him. They didn't recognize, we didn't recognize our creator, even though he came to his own people, they refused to listen and receive him. That's the story of Jesus, right? But listen to verse 12. This one is a life changer, changed so many of our lives. It's going to change some of you right here in a minute this morning. Verse 12, he said, but for all who did receive and trust in him, he gave them the right to be reborn as children of God. He bestowed this birthright, not by human power or initiative, but by God's will. Now, when John was writing this, he put together two little Greek words that had never been put together ever before in the Greek language. And it's really important that we understand this. We, we translate it trust. Some, some versions translate it believe. Believe in the Lord. Believe in him. But what it really, if you get down to it, it's the word believe or, or trust or faith, but it's believe and then the, a little preposition that had never been put with believe before. Believe into. That's what it really says, literally. Wouldn't make sense if we said believe into now. I mean, so we say believe in or whatever. Believe into. It's very, it's really strong. Let, let me give you an example of, of what it means in the, the, the Greek. When they saw this, they could understand this. It's like this little stool right here. The worship team brought this out for me to sit on. I trust, you know, them. I'm sure they're gonna give me a good little stool to sit on, so I'm sure it's trust. I believe in this stool. I believe this stool will hold me up. Yep, I'm pretty sure of it. That's what we do as Americans. I believe in God, right? I'm, God is, I believe in Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. That's not the word. John is saying, he said, I believe into. Oh, I put all my weight on. I give everything I am to. I put all my trust in. I give over everything to. If you do that, in this moment, he gives you the right to become a child of God. And he's spoken that. He's weaved that into the universe. And so when we step into what Christ did, I call it stepping into the journey a lot of times because that's the easiest way for our American mindset. Like, oh yeah, if you're going a journey, you're going a certain way, right? I'm going God's way, not my way. You know, a, a certain rich young man came to Jesus and he goes, I've been really moral, but I, 
I mean, how do I, I just wanna make sure I got eternal life. I feel like I do. I mean, I've been really good. My good outweighs my bad. I've helped my fellow man at every turn. You know, I've been kind of a little bit of a philanthropist because I got money and Jesus looked at him and it says Jesus loved him. He could see the love in Jesus' eyes. He cared for this young man. And he said, you just lack one thing. (laughs) You do this one thing. Sell everything you have and then come and walk with me, follow me. And the Bible says the young man put his head down and walked away sad because he had great wealth and he, he couldn't part with it. But he missed the point. Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who spoke every single thing that he had, that he owned, spoke it into existence at some point, said, come and walk with me. That's the invitation. I can just imagine as an old, old man, all wrinkled up, sitting out, you know, they wheel him out in his little whatever kind of chair they had back in those days to do that and, and put him in the sun in his beautiful garden that's the size of this whole thing. And it's just lush and it's beautiful. He lives like in a castle. And he's just sitting there getting close to the end thinking, what if? What if I'd said something different that day? What would my life have been? I saw adventure in his eyes. I saw something in his eyes. I saw more in his eyes. What what if I had stepped into that? What if I, I mean, don't you know he had to have felt that way? I I think he had to remember the, the look of Jesus, how much he loved him. And he's saying, come walk with me. This God who spoke the universe into existence that we're just now beginning to understand how he did it a little bit by quantum physics. He says to you this morning, whether you're at home sitting on your couch or you're right here in this room, he says, come follow me. Come walk with me. Oh, but it costs you everything. It's gonna cost you everything. You need to just say, God, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I'll ever be is what you want me to be. I, I give up my life. I step into this life with you. I want to follow you. That's what it means to be a believer. Did you know that? That's, that's what it means. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about becoming a, a child of God. That's what it means when it's talking about being born again. In America, we've made it so, so weird, you know? And, and, and it's just kind of like, oh, I'm trying to do good and do this and do that. And it's like, no, that's what the rich young man was doing. Jesus said, just give it up but quit focusing on that. Why are you looking at that? So you can kind of tell where you are if you're getting close to this thing or not, because if you're looking and going, that's a lot to give up, right? And then I have people all the time say, oh, Jesus, well, he won't make you give that up. Well, he might call you to go to Mexico City as a missionary and get down to like 20 little suitcases. That's everything that you and your family own. And have you, you know, your kids have to put every one of their belongings, every toy you've got's got to fit in this little, you know, three-foot suitcase, kids. That's what he told Laura and me to do when we were 30. And I was like, okay, but you, know, you want me to take my kids? Mexico City, you know? Yep. He does that. But let me tell you, it's the greatest adventure you've ever been on. It's the most amazing. I didn't say it's easy, but it's so exciting to walk with him and walk 
And, and, and sometimes he just comes back and he just blesses you and everything you ever thought you ever gave up, he gives it right back to you. Sometimes he doesn't. He does whatever he wants to do. It, it's his choice. He, you know, you gave yourself to him. Verse 14, the voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We've seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor, the one true son of the father, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. He said, I I saw his splendor. John, James, Peter, they were on that mountain when for just a moment, Jesus transfigured, you know, you remember the transfiguration, maybe you've heard of it, but it was Jesus was up on this mountain and suddenly he just couldn't hold in anymore all the God that he was and he just burst out in this light they couldn't even look at and, and, and just blinding. And they saw, they saw that, those three saw that. And it was interesting because Jesus said, keep it to yourselves guys because I don't want, it's not all about this glamour and kind of stuff. I just want people to know how much I love them, that I care for them. I'm getting ready to go die for them. But John saw it. He said, I saw his transcendence. I saw it myself. Why is it important to, to know this? This Jesus who spoke the world into existence, who is the light, he wants to be light for you in your darkest place right now. Some of you are in some deep, dark, difficult, places. You just are. And he said, I want to be God for you there. He saw it. He knows where you're at. Max Lucado, some of you have just loved, he's written so many amazing books. He's a great storyteller, a great pastor. And for the first time that I ever heard, he he told a, a Dallas newspaper a few months ago, some of his story. Now, I just wanted to read it to you as we get ready to close. He said, I was old enough for baseball, for football, and bike riding, but I was not old enough to process what came my way that year. Sexual molestation at the hands of an adult man. He entered my world under the guise of a mentor. He befriended several families in our small town. I remember him as witty, as charming, as generous, what I did not know, what no one knew is that he was a predator. He would have us over to his house for burgers. He would take us on drives in his truck. He took us hunting and hiking, offered to answer all of the questions of life and love and girls. He owned magazines, the kind my father didn't allow. And he would do and make us do things I will not repeat and cannot forget. One weekend campout was especially perverse. He loaded five of us in a pickup camper and drove to a campground. Among his pack of tents and sleeping bags were a few bottles of whiskey. He drank his way through the weekend and worked his way through the tent of each boy. He told us not to tell our parents, implying that we were to blame for his behavior by swearing us to secrecy. He said he was keeping us from getting into trouble. What a scoundrel. I came home on Sunday afternoon feeling filthy and shame-ridden. I'd missed the communion service at church that morning. And even as a young boy, I thought, if I ever needed communion, it's today. So as a young boy, I staged my own Eucharist. 
I waited until mom and dad had gone to bed because I didn't want to talk to them about any of this stuff. And I went to the kitchen. I couldn't find any crackers, but I found some potatoes from Sunday lunch that were left over. I couldn't locate any juice. So I just got some milk out of the fridge and I placed the potatoes on a saucer, poured the milk into a little glass and celebrated the crucifixion of Christ and the redemption of my soul. What the sacrament lacked in liturgy was made up in tenderness because Jesus met me in that moment. I sensed him, his love, his presence. Don't ask me how I knew he was near. I just did. Jesus was here. We cannot be in a place so dark that God is not there. And the light made all the difference in that moment. John, when he wrote the gospel of John, he was an old, old man. It's probably the last book written in all of the Bible. You know, they're not in like chronological order. We put together the four because they're the four gospels of the life of Jesus. But John wrote this he could, way into his 80s. He could have been 90 almost. And he had waited a long time. He did that on purpose, I think. He wanted to gather it up. And when he wrote this, I want you to realize who he was. He was like the closest one to Jesus on this planet when Jesus was in physical form. In fact, when Jesus was at the cross, John was there, one of the only ones that didn't desert him. And Jesus from the cross spoke to John. Can you imagine that had to be spoke to me from the cross? And his mother Mary was there, the one who, when she went to the temple, when Jesus was just a little baby, she's gonna dedicate him. An old prophet there said, one day a sword is gonna pierce your own soul. This was that day because Jesus was pierced on the cross. Her soul was pierced, his mama. And he looked at John and he looked at Mary and he said, John, this is your mother now. Mom, this is your son now. And tradition tells us that John took Mary into his home that very day and cared for her until the day that she died. And both of them, as they, they had walked with Jesus, they had seen him as friend, even as son, but they also met him as savior, a very personal thing after the resurrection. And they began to walk with him as God too. And it changed everything for them. And John wrote this. It's probably the most quoted and requoted verse. Imagine you've heard it. It's John chapter three, verse 16. He wrote this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Heard that? But it goes on, and we don't know these verses, but these verses are amazing right after it. Verse 17, he says, here's the point of that. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. He's here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. If you feel like God's up there, like just trying to put the thumb down on you, trying to hammer you, like I'm waiting for, oh, you're getting ready to do something bad. I can just look in your eyes. I'm gonna get you. That's not God. That's not what he's doing. You might've been, raised in some kind of religion that way or even in a home that way, but that's not God. 
Verse 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes into, same words, him. But anyone who does not believe into him has already been judged for not believing into God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light, refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do not, who do what is right, come to the light so others can see God at work and what he's doing. See, we're afraid to come to the light because in the light, the darkness in us is exposed. And yet that's our only hope, that the darkness would be exposed. But I don't want you to know the darkness in me, God. And I don't want you to know the darkness in me. Well, God already knows it. He's light. You know, you're like a glass of water to him. He can see right through you, right? And he sees, he sees it. But here's the crazy thing about God. He still loves you. He made you. He spoke you. And he knew right where you were going to be. He knew how dark it was going to be. He knew right where you were going to be here this morning, whether you're at home or here. And he spoke you and he said, I love you. I want you. I speak you into existence. And that's how he feels about you right now. He sees you. And if you step into him, belong, believe into him, the light shines on all that. You'll see it too. You just, oh God, here it is. Everything, here it all is. My gosh. But see, that's our only hope. And as a church, what we try to do is we try to be vulnerable enough and I'm trying to get us to a place where we're open enough that we can do that with each other too, that we can say, uh, I need you to pray for me. I, I, I'm really struggling in this area. And, and people don't go, oh, did you hear he's struggling? That's what I love about our church. Because a lot of churches are like, ours isn't like that. Ours is like, oh, let, let's pray right now. I used to struggle. I've, I've been struggling with the same thing or I used to struggle with that. Or I, We're all in this thing together, right? We're all journeying together. And when you fall on your face, I'm gonna pick you up and dust you off and s- slap you on the backside if you're a guy and uh, say, let's go. We can do this. Let's get up. Come on. Come on, little girl, get up. You can do this. And when I fall on my face, don't you go, oh, the pastor, okay? Pick me up and you dust me off. You go, come on, Mark, we can do this. We're gonna finish this. We're gonna finish this together. That's what community of faith is all about. And the Bible says, when you confess your sins to God, he will forgive you. And he says, when you confess your sins to each other and pray for one another, you will be, you know what the word is? Healed. You need to be healed emotionally from an addiction, relationally. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep my veneer up. I think I'll just, I think I'll just stay here because I kind of love the darkness. Uh, nobody can see me in the darkness. It's good here in the darkness. I look really respectable here in the darkness and you're not healed, are you? But the light has come. The light has come. The light 
is here. The light speaks into your darkness. The one who spoke the very first light into being speaks into the darkest heart. Everything's changed. I've asked the band to come. Jack, Samantha are gonna sing over you a prayer. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to be right here in the middle of this prayer. They're gonna speak Jesus over you. There's gonna come different points where they're gonna say something and it applies to you. And I'm gonna ask you to have the courage when that applies to you, stand up. Whether it's depression or addiction or anxiety. Or maybe there's someone you wanna stand up in their stead. Maybe when when he says, I, I speak Jesus over my family, you wanna stand up for that, okay? And then at the same time, because I know that you can, you can do this, we're gonna take communion together. Those of you that are here, you have the little packet. If you're at home, you can find the juice or the wine and the crackers if you don't have that. Do what Max Lucado did. Just grab what you got that's anything that symbolizes that for you right now, okay? Go ahead and do that. So I want you to do two things at once. I want you to listen as they pray over you, and I want you to stand and claim the light of Jesus, his name, in your life. We're gonna see some miracles break through. Some of you, for the very first time, you're gonna step into this journey with Christ. You're gonna say, yeah, okay, I will, I'll follow. I'll do this. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm stepping in. Everything's gonna change. I promise you, everything's gonna change. We're gonna do a big baptism on Easter. And if you're stepping in like that, you're gonna be one of the ones that wants to get baptized. That's, that's how you show the world that you've done it. We always have a lot of people that right there when they get baptized, they're stepping in, they're going like, yep, I'm telling everybody this is what I'm doing. But you can do that first and then you can show them through baptism. You'll find out how to do that in this next few weeks. Right now, we speak Jesus. There's so much power. It's the same Jesus. He spoke and the world came into being. He speaks and what's going on in your life right now creates, he moves, he changes. There's nothing too big. There's no kid that's too far away. There's no addiction so too strong for him. This is it. This is our time. So right now, sing over us, Jack. Sing over us, Samantha, and let's experience this one.